Hello and welcome to Integral Teaching, presented by teachingintothefuture.com. My name is Diane Walters, and I've got a series of podcasts based on what I call the unfinished lesson, leaving room for the students. Let's get right to it. I am a teacher. I've taught kindergarten, elementary, junior high, and high school students. Modern children are asking us now for something new. They're asking us to be present in a way that I think uh, children have always wanted, but perhaps lack the precociousness, really, that they now have to ask for exactly what they want. So they're asking us to stand up or sit down and take account of who they are and what they're asking for and what they're wanting in a new way. They're alert, they're precocious, they're quick, and they know how to assess the value of their time and their learning. I began to ask this main question, how can I, as a teacher, create diverse instructional strategies that invite my students to participate in their own learning? I'm talking about full engagement, which looks like excitement, that looks like deep interest, that seizes the day and the child and the teacher and co-creates an environment that belongs to learning, that brings a level of creativity, an emergent lesson, emergent planning, and a lot of inquiry into the game plan. So to this end, I developed a website called Teaching Into the Future, and Teaching Into the Future is really based on the aspects of how to leave something unfinished in a lesson, how to work with the red thread that runs through enlivening approaches to teaching and how to work with living inquiry and emergent inquiry into each and every lesson that you bring and each and every dialogue that you have with your students, which is based in relationship. I've taken some of these action research projects into my work in teaching into the future with teachers who are working in hybrid situations right now online. They both work in the school and online uh, intermittently, depending on whether or not the COVID pandemic has uh, shut their school down. And in one case, I was working with a grade one teacher who was teaching the four mathematical processes to her her children. They were, she was introducing a, a subtraction and addition for the first time. And the children were at home, and she knew what she would have done at school. She had the plans ready. She had the manipulatives, the counters ready to go, and the blackboard uh, beautifully illustrated into the four processes. And so she was asking, should she just take her laptop to the classroom and basically do what she would have done in the classroom on the laptop through the uh, online presence at home. And I said, absolutely not. The, ch- the circumstances have changed. You're no, lo- no longer in the classroom. And the idea of working with engagement is to actually look around and see what is right there. So the children are all in their homes. And I guessed that most of the children have stuffed animals on their beds. And so I asked them to count how many stuffed animals they might have had and bring that to the table and create a scavenger hunt around the house looking at number as pattern. So how many doorknobs are on a door? Well, you could guess that there were two. So there was the twos. Let's count how many twos 
two doorknobs that's count by two. So throughout the varying doors in the house. And so every child had a different answer. But what they did have was full engagement. And they were playing a game in their own house, a math game, on basically adding up the doors, the doorknobs, the stuffies, the, the, the window frames, etc. And creating a platform for math in their lives. Not math in a classroom on a worksheet, but how it was relevant to opening a door in the morning or brushing their teeth for that matter. So they had to find patterns of one, patterns of two, patterns of three in the course of their, their own personal experience. She moved on the following week into sub subtraction, and I suggested that she take that into hand and have them with a bowl of cereal and actually count out the bits of cereal. And then as she's subtracting, the kids would eat the Cheerios or Rice Krispies or whatever they were eating and they had to eat them and then remove them and subtract them from the original count number. And of course that was very personal and yet they could also do the lesson at home and have a lot of fun doing it. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. When it comes to working with engagement and emergent engagement, we have to think about not the subject lesson but the children themselves. Where are they? What are they doing? What's in front of them? Another uh, example of that would be it was working with a grade 7 teacher, 7-8 teacher, who had a few students. She was working with perspective drawing, and she had created an entire set of plans, all online, of drawing mountains in perspective. And they executed, and some of the children really got it, and others didn't, until I suggested that she start back that up and just begin to look at what perspective is. Have the children sit and say, what do you see that's the furthest thing away? Look out the window. What is the furthest thing you can see? out that window wherever you live and those answers will be different because we are different and what is the closest thing to them would it be the laptop or would it be their own hand and so that's perspective teach them what perspective is before we get into a skill set around how to draw a perspective mountain and trees so that's working with pure intellect and the computers can do that but that removes us from the subject matter what I'm talking about with basically finding the balance between teachers and students and finding the balance between the subject and the lesson is to find the relevancy of it in our own lives. And I've discovered that there's incredible relevancy to addition and subtraction for all of us when we create a meal and when we eat a meal. And that's something as humans we all do. And you can just work it. We're adding into the day, the minutes into the day, and at the end of the day, we've subtracted them. We've used them up. And you can take that into multiplication and division. But I just wanted to share this little story to say the finding the relevancy of whatever that subject matter is in your own personal life is actually quite easy when you think about it. It's just common sense. So in teaching into the future, we're looking at really finding the present moment of where we sit and how we stand and what we talk about that's actually really relevant and not some abstract theory or computational skill that we have imposed upon the children, but they were actually bringing those skills and that perspective and that subject alive inside of us because it relates to our direct experience.
I challenge you right now to look outside and find perspective of your own experience, that what is furthest away and what is closest to you, that's perspective. Now take that in into, if I were working with older children, I would say, well, then we all have perspectives, don't we, about pretty much any issue. So what is the perspective of eating organic versus non-organic food? Everybody has that perspective, their own ideas around that. Or what is perspective based on uh, whether you're talking politics or the environment? And you can take that perspective in. And, and, and then when you're bringing perspective drawing in as a skill set, you're actually including the diversity and the holism of all that we live, all that's in our lives all the time, but we might just not think about it. And if that's not what teaching is, I think I've been duped all my life. Because what teaching is, is what living is. And it's making every moment count. So in finding the balance between who we are as people, as teachers, and who our students are as children or youth, is to find that crossing point of perception, really. I need to, in a way, go into how my students see the world. If they're in grade one, or if they're in grade six, or if they're in grade nine, or grade 12. And how I can touch upon that experience and bring in the math, the science, the language, the social arts, the movement, the arts. Everything relates to everything else, and that is, of course, my curriculum seal, which you will see here, and I'll talk a little bit later in another podcast about the curriculum seal. So in Teaching Into the Future, I have several articles which you will find the curriculum seal in, as well as shorter blogs related to the subject of my podcast here. I would suggest that there is actually considerable anecdotal evidence to suggest that Conventional forms of education are not meeting the needs of significant numbers of children. I believe that children should be encouraged to develop their own self-directed activities, and this, in a strong way, would require new forms of learning and new forms for schools. The COVID pandemic of 2020 has taught us all that education doesn't need to be completely just moved from an in-classroom environment to putting all those subjects online for what would be the scroll of death for any student. If they were interested before, now they're, they're really having to call upon their own inner resources to stay with it. And I've worked with faculties of school, secondary school teachers and primary school teachers who are working online and all of them, all of them have actually said, I'm not sure if my students are engaged and participatory because videos are not mandatory. So I don't know if they're actually there. So it's like teaching into a vacuum. And if teaching into a vacuum is teaching, how do you know the students are engaged? What would happen if we actually abandoned the idea of taking old outmoded forms of curriculum development through a preset outline and we moved it into interest 
a level of authentic personal interest in every subject and we took it for a spin and found relationship with that in our lives and allowed the students to find the independent self-directed will whether they're in in, in seven or 17 years old or anything in between. And we allowed them to take, because they're so smart, that they could take their own learning in hand and begin to develop that. And, and, and our role as guides would be to encourage it. Our role as guides would be to continue to suggest new ideas and activities for that math lesson, that science experiment, that social history project that they might be doing. When considered together and looking at self-direction and new learning and new forms of schooling, of course we meet the homeschooling movement, of which there are many modalities. And in the homeschooling movement, parents are often uh, doing just this. They're trying to find a level of self-directed activity and self-directed will that engages their student. And if you're one of them, you'll know that at a certain point, you know, your child, uh, it, when they're very young, can pick this up in a, in a very natural, organic kind of way because children are naturally curious. And as they get a little older, 10, 11, 12, after 12 and up, they begin to long for more conventional forms of schooling, and that just needs to be picked up and carried in a little bit more of a rigorous schedule. But it can be incredibly enriching and beneficial to have your junior high, high school student continue working with independent projects based on what they want to do. And that can go right down to aspects of the hard sciences in physics and chemistry, biology, geology and, and, and apprenticeship with people who are already in those professions. There is a new entrepreneurial program called YES. It's actually happening, uh, I think the base is BC, but they're going across Canada, if not on a global level soon enough, but they're really working with high school apprenticeship in as entrepreneurship because they've recognized that high school students have a lot of new ideas that are really fresh. And let's let's see how they that what their spin on the world would be. And this, by the way, is free. You will find a reference to that on my website, Teaching Into the Future, as well. You can also find it on my Facebook page, Teaching Into the Future, as well as my Instagram account under the same name, Teaching Into the Future. Now, when I'm talking about engagement and independent student activities, I'm not talking specifically about online student engagement that we take our humanity and we, we put our education entirely online. Because that is to look at human intelligence or the human intellect as being limited to our brain activity or our intellectual mind activity. I have to beg you to ask, well, what, what other forms of human intelligence are there? We have heart intelligence. We have a social-emotional intelligence that usually tells us whether or not some, somebody or something is a safe environment for us to be in, whether or not we're supported, whether or not we feel acknowledged for who we are. That's an emotional intelligence. And whether or not we feel that the adults in our lives, if we're children, have us in their best interest. The other form of intelligence is actually what I like to call hand intelligence. I'm a potter, 
It's one of the things I love to do, and I'll be bringing a little bit of that into future podcasts. But hand intelligence is something where our hands actually and our feet know a different form of, it's a feeling, sensing based intelligence that just knows what to do. If you're working a skill that you've done many, many times, like working in ceramics, planting a garden, building a, a garden shed, or a garden box, or a fort. Hand intelligence is equally important, if not the most important thing, in an age of digital technology that is directing our children into believing that human intelligence is all in a computer and that we have to keep up with that kind of computational learning. I believe that we teach the children to use computers as a tool, but I would, I would argue that it's perhaps a little bit more of a Pandora's box if we limit our own efforts for striving to learn merely through the mind. So where is the heart and where is the body's intelligence in knowing how to be and do? A media-saturated environment leads to inactivity in both student physical activity and in-brain activity. And you have to ask yourself if certain attitudes and practices in the classroom or in the learning environment also affect student engagement, which results in a form of passive learning or passivity. Refocusing the hand intelligence or the, the will into deed in children and youth today through self-directed assisted activities in schools means that the more children take initiative in their learning, the greater their engagement. And therefore, in their learning and their passion for and their interest and their curiosity. Student participation, I believe, is an antidote to the inactivity of modern life. In a time when the average child or teen spends 1,500 hours a year watching TV and 900 in school, we must ask ourselves, how do we invite student participation in learning that's offline? Because at that point, that was prior to COVID. And now, you know, if we look at, at online learning being the game plan, whether you're on Google Classroom or Zoom or Microsoft Team, you are teaching online. And, and I, I fear that that's actually the, the core of the future. But in teaching into the future, I think what I'm looking at is the role of what it means to be truly human in a technologically based world. And I believe that the two can coexist extremely well together when we think of the technologically based will, world as supporting our human based learning, supporting it but not becoming it, right? So when we become human, we actually recognize that our bodies and our hearts are equally intelligent and need equal service. Years ago, I was rather taken with Sally Goddard Bly's book, which came out in 2005, so more than um, 16 years ago, but it's relevant, as relevant today as it was then. Um, and it, she, she was working with research for the Institute for Neurophysiological Psychology, INPP, and she identified that many children are deprived of vital opportunities for exercising the body and the senses in today's media-saturated world, resulting in an inability to learn. 
She documented that the whole body approach to learning as one that potentially integrates the brain, senses, movement, and play are at the core of uh, brain uh, development. So developing teacher practices, which adheres to the guiding principles of INPP and whatever curriculum you're working with, suggests that perhaps the active process of the students observing and learning from their experiences is another way to use a whole body approach to learning. So again, I really uh, encourage independent studies, group and team research projects, and bringing it to the heart through artistic presentations, artistic expectations, artistic avenues of um, identifying and measuring learning outcomes. So we often think our learning outcomes or our competencies are brain-based. They're in what we know. But I, I argue that the word know, gnosis, comes from, in a way, spiritual mystery. G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis. To know something is to actually go into the mystery of it. Thank you for listening to Integral Teaching, presented by Teaching Into the Future, and I hope to see you again. If I piqued your interest, it would really help if you would rate my show either by a like or giving me your personal rating. I'm just starting out here, and I've got a whole lot more for you. So stay tuned for my next podcast. I'm calling Beholding Joy in the Classroom.